49ers cutback podcast time welcome to the show everyone I'm ready to talk about the 49ers burning questions here in bye week because let's be honest 49ers fans have a lot of question marks about this 49ers roster and they've been making them felt all throughout social media all throughout my comment section but all around Facebook and everywhere else and the national media is playing into it the Bay Area meeting the media is getting involved in these conversation points as well so I wanted to give my perspective on some of the burning questions that the San Francisco 49ers are facing. Some of them I'm going to probably agree with. Some of them I'm not. Some of them I'm probably going to take some bold stances. So if you're looking for bold stances, I'm here for because I've been reviewing the film from 49ers vs. Bengals. Of course, I break down every single play from the season over on Patreon. And if you don't know, I have a history as a coach. One of my favorite things to do was break down film, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, So I've been a coordinator on offense, been a coordinator on defense, position coach, head coach. I've been involved. And so I understand some of the things that people are saying. And that's why I really want to get into the questions because the 49ers are going to have to answer these questions coming out of the bye week. They're going to have to make sure that they get it done on the field. And the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be sitting there. They're in their bye week as well. So 49ers and Jaguars have no advantage as far as time off. Uh, 49ers were done no favors as far as the schedule pertains, but that's not anything you have to concern yourself with. Uh, You can't let that be in your mind. You just got to go out there and you have to produce at a high level on both sides of the football. With that being said, the 49ers are going to get some players back. Debo Samuel uh, proclaimed that he is ready and he's going to be going against the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's great news for the offense. You also have potentially Trent Williams coming back and Chase Young coming into the fold. With the news that Nick Bosa is going to stay at the facility during the bye week to help watch film and work with Chase Young and get him up to speed and ready to go for Jacksonville, I kind of like what this is doing for the football team about bringing players together. Debo talked as well you know, on the Up and Adams podcast about you know the effect that Chase Young meant for morale Sometimes these things help. You get that push, right? Christian McCaffrey last year was that push for the 49ers, and Chase Young could be that push this year. It's not a foregone conclusion that Chase Young's going to be the move that puts him over the top. They still have to go prove it on the field. But I'm ready to get into some of these questions. Uh, but first, let's talk about Bet Online. The last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling, and college basketball is ready to go as well. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to the Bet Online today. And remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game 
start. So let's get into these burning questions. And probably the one uh, that I've heard the most, especially recently, depending on whatever you listen to on YouTube, uh, whatever you're listening to on the radio, whatever you're reading, there is a lot of contention surrounding Isaiah Oliver. I mean, there's a reason I put him on the thumbnail there uh, because there are just so many question marks. So when I did my film breakdown over on Patreon, I literally circle him every single time. I just focus on him, let you know where he's at, what his alignment is. Uh, we, we watch his coverage. We watch what he does every single play. And don't get me wrong. Are there times where Isaiah Oliver gets beat? Absolutely. Uh, especially when you're playing against a team as talented as the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and, you know, he gave up two touchdowns in the game. The one against Jamar Chase is probably the one that considered the most egregious uh, because he jumps on the potential screen pass out in the flat, and Jamar Chase runs right by him to the back of the end zone for a touchdown. That was right after the Brock Purdy interception throw. Uh, not the one in the goal line, but the next one after that. So it was a big, pivotal play in the game. Fortnite went from being down 7 uh, to down 14 in a blink of an eye. But there was a lot of conversation about how many catches were on him, right? Uh, 8 of 8 as far as catches... And he's given up 20 of 20 of his of the throws gone his way. But I thought it was interesting that that kind of thing doesn't show up very big on film. I might be one of the only ones that believes this, but Isaiah Oliver is one of the best at helping in the run game in the entire league. The dude is fantastic. His run fits are great. His leverage and the what he does as far as against the screens is fantastic. He's a great open field tackler. He does all that stuff correct. Now, if you go back and you look at Jimmy Ward when he came back from injury last year and the 49ers put him in the nickel, he gave up 24 straight completions, 24 of 24. You start to think, and I, I've said this on a couple of podcasts now, that that nickel position for the 49ers is very difficult. If you watch the film, he has to play inside leverage to help with the run, which puts him at a disadvantage. Let me talk exactly about that Tyler Boyd touchdown in the first quarter, the very first touchdown of the game against Cincinnati. They run a bunch set. That's trip bunch, three guys. Well, they motion into it, Boyd being the furthest off the ball, which means you're not going to get any press, you're not going to get any help. Then what happens is Boyd waits for the other two players to vacate. So what happens is the outside receiver takes Charvarius Ward uh, closer to the middle of the field, and Talano Fonga goes with the other. And it leaves space right there for Isaiah Oliver and way too much space to the sideline. Now, if you're Isaiah Oliver, you're flat-footed, you're playing right there, you either have to cover the pylon or be afraid he's going to break to the middle of the field because you're in man coverage. So Oliver does the best he can, stacking him up. And if you freeze-frame the ball, it just goes over his hand. Nice, tight coverage. I don't know exactly what Isaiah Oliver is supposed to do on that play. Like I said, the one against Jamar Chase... He got smoked. He got dirty eyes. He jumped on it. It didn't work. But I think we're being hypercritical of some of the things maybe that Isaiah Oliver does, and we're not looking at the things he does really well. I mean, some of the catches that are on him, he's right there. There's one he almost has an interception on. It goes past his hands. A brilliant throw uh, by Joe Burrow. And so I think it's a little bit over the top as far as criticism. Does he deserve some criticism? Yeah. He playing as well as he could in coverage? No. Uh, is he playing as great as anybody as far as stopping the run, helping in run fits, and tackling on screens? Yeah. He's that standout. 
Some of the reverse plays that Jamar Chase tackling him in the open field were absolutely spectacular in this game. So do I think it's something the 49ers need to make sure they watch when it comes to Isaiah over? Yeah. Do I think it's something that they're really worried about right now going against a team like Cincinnati Bengals that had the amount of talent and weapons that they had? No, I don't think so. I don't think they believe Isaiah Oliver is the reason that they're losing football games. And I think that, yeah, the 49ers could have easily brought in another cornerback uh, during the trade deadline. And I'm not saying they wouldn't have made a move to move Demo inside. But I wonder if they can find anyone on their roster that plays the run and plays that screen game as good as Isaiah Oliver. I don't think they can. I mean, he's that good in that category. He is absolutely fantastic. So is Isaiah Oliver awful, as people are saying? Does he need to be benched? Does he need to be cut today? No, I don't think so. Uh, does Is there some things he needs to tighten up on in coverage? Yeah. Is there some mesh concepts and things when they're in man coverage that put him in a tough spot? Absolutely. But he's not the only one that was missing in coverage. He's not the only one that struggled when the quarterback had too much time to throw the football. There were other guys. So does Isaiah Oliver need to get better? Yes. As far as coverage. As far as everything else, he's spectacular. Literally, that word says it all. He's literally spectacular as far as run fits and tackling in open space. I mean, a lot of people would be very happy to have Isaiah Oliver in that category. Does he need to get a little bit better in coverage? Yeah. But I don't think it was that bad. I think the Jamar Chase one really kind of skewed everyone against Isaiah Oliver because he gave up two touchdowns. That first one, great throw. The second one, uh, that's a mistake. So should the 49ers have traded for a cornerback? Well, I mean, I think you always look to upgrade your roster. So if there was an opportunity for the 49ers to go out there and get a cornerback without mortgaging their future, then yeah, they do it. Uh, but with Chase Young, for instance, at the defensive end, they waited for the right situation. They didn't try to go outbid Chicago for Montez Sweat and walk away giving up a first-round pick for a player that could potentially walk away. And I think a lot of people really wanted the 49ers to get Jalen Johnson. But when you look at Jalen Johnson, he's a really good football player, and the completion percentage against him is not very high. He's a dy dynamic outside corner that you could have put there. The, the problem was he's turned down two contract extensions from the Chicago Bears that were 17-plus million. You can't afford to pay Jalen Johnson a brand-new contract on the outside. You're already paying Tarverius Ward. And with the 49ers' method, how they build their football team, that would have put them behind the eight ball. So they weren't willing to spend like that. So they had to find another cheap option, another way that they could kind of manipulate uh, not giving up too much as far as draft capital and also not giving up that much as far as salary. They really want to roll over clo as close to $40 million as they can. So that way they have the money to pay other players in the offseason to try to keep this core group together as they continue to try to win a Super Bowl. So that has been one of their main methods. So giving a new contract to Jalen Johnson became unrealistic, and they had to move on from that. There has been some conversations that maybe they were interested in other cornerbacks, including Adoree Jackson from the New York Giants. Of course, John Lynch said there was nothing to that story about the Giants getting in uh, the trade agreement a little late. That was all a you know complete spoof by this guy on uh, Twitter, and he did a good job fooling a lot of people. I was very hesitant to believe it, and I'm glad I was. Uh, but, I mean, it looks like the 49ers probably checked in, wanted to see what was going on with some of the cornerbacks around the league, and it, it appears that there just wasn't anything available that was going to make the 49ers better, all the while not mortgaging their future with both draft picks 
and financially with the salary cap. So they decided that they weren't going to handle it that way. They did make a move where it made sense along the defensive line, paying a guy, you know, $561,000, all the while only giving up a third round compensatory pick that's going to be out pick 100 in the draft, which is the kind of move John Lynch likes to execute and likes to move with. So a cornerback just wasn't in the cards. But I do believe if there would have been the right situation that presented itself, that yes, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan would look to upgrade at the cornerback position. But that didn't happen. So now they expect the guys that they have in-house to step up and make plays. And at some point, Samuel Womack is going to come back. And then we'll see how he fits into the mold. But we do know he probably won't play nickel corner. So if you're expecting Sam Womack when he comes back to take over for Isaiah Oliver, that's very unlikely. Even Jimmy Ward, when he went on with Richard Sherman, talked about the fact that they didn't like his physicality inside. I could have told you that. In fact, I have been saying that since last year. I knew that's why they moved to Diameter Lenore, because the hyena in the slot was a lot more physical than Sam Womack, and Womack was struggling in run fits through the first two games of the 2022 season. With that change, it, it brought a lot of uh, better, you know, better rush, run defense, and they had Emmanuel Mosley outside. Now, once Mosley got hurt in week four of the 2022 season, Yamaro Lenore had to slide outside as the next best corner on the 49ers team. Since then, they had to find another way. So once Jimmy Ward got back from his injury, he moved into nickel, and he struggled at first. The same way Isaiah Oliver's kind of having some struggles in coverage, you know, giving up catches, and I think it is tough to play nickel corner for the 49ers where you're expected to play it inside uh, setup and then play out, you know, be able to cover these guys on these deep fade routes uh, from the slot. That's tough. Tough playing nickel anyways, where you have the spacing uh, because a receiver that plays in the slot, not only has a free release because you can't press him because he's playing off ball, but also most of the time he has the space to go over the middle or the space to go outside. And so it makes it a lot more difficult for a corner in the slot to be able to stay with them. That's why a lot of corners were sl small guys, K1 Williams style, that were able to stay in front of them, switch direction very fast, and go ahead and stick with those guys. But with the maturation of offenses and with guys like Sean McVay going to 11 personnel, putting you in nickel, and then using a big receiver to take advantage of the nickel, same way the 49ers did with Jawan Jennings, uh, then it made it a liability in the run game. So you see teams trying to go to a bigger corner, and hoping that that corner can still change direction and stay with these slot receivers. But that's definitely became a point of emphasis for offenses to take advantage of. The Fourniers have tried to neutralize that effectiveness in the run game by having a bigger nickel in those situations. So should Steve Wilkes be on the sideline has been another burning question. And, you know, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this. I do think that personality-wise, it feels like Steve Wilkes will do a very good job being in the booth I don't think that's the reason why there has been some struggles at times with scheme or calls. I think it more so has to do with his comfort level. And we've seen other, you know, 49ers defensive coordinators, including Vic Fangio and George Seifert call from the box with great effectiveness. Uh, when that happens, you have to make sure you have good position coaches on the sideline that can rally the troops, but that's their job anyways. Put Daniel Bullock's down there. He's good at that. Johnny Hollins knows how to handle his linebacker group. I think Chris Kacerik has all the energy you could possibly need. So I don't believe that Wilkes needs to move down there. Now, if he decided to move down there, uh, then that's fine. But I don't think you can expect to see the type of energy you were getting out of Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans. 
those guys were built for that type of energy level. Uh, they were former linebacker coaches. They they coach with a lot of enthusiasm, with a lot of aggressiveness. That is a little bit different from Wilkes. Wilkes is more of a teacher. He's very more reserved. Uh, he's very stoic. So I think he definitely fits more with the box where you can see the whole field and be able to make those calls in that direction. He's not really a get-in-your-face, rah-rah kind of guy. But if he decides to go down there, it will change his vantage point. Uh, you go from being able to see all 22 guys, the entire field, to only being able to see you know from behind or from in front of your defense. So it definitely can change things. The feelings on the field, those emotions can also dictate things you call. You might start feeling an emotion and be willing to make a call. So it's usually preference. Most of the times, as long as you have experienced position coaches, you definitely can be in the booth. I think this is a non-factor. I don't think this is a reason why Steve Wilkes is struggling, uh, but I get why people are thinking that because Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryan's two most recent defensive coordinators and both had success were on the sidelines. I just don't know if that's going to happen. If it does happen, I'm not sure that's going to be the reason one way or the other why Steve Wilkes is either effective or not. And with that being said, so many people are saying Steve Wilkes needs to be fired. Do I think he needs to be fired? No, I don't think Steve Wilkes needs to be fired. Uh, the Fournier are still operating one of the top 10 defenses in the entire league. Uh, Wilkes has made a lot of good calls, especially during the first five weeks. Some very sound adjustments. But I do think there's a couple of things that are out of whack. I think there's been some adjustments by offenses to take advantage of what Steve Wilkes does. I think Steve Wilkes has been more uh, practical in the way that he has the adjustments um, to coverage. And I think he could be a little bit more disguising, going ahead and showing uh, more things pre-snap and then changing post-snap. I think he's become predictable in that area. Uh, but those are all things you work, work on. And those are all things you get better at. And I think he's going to get a better feel for what teams are trying to do to him and what exactly his players' capabilities are. And now the 49ers just gave him another uh, tool and another piece to be able to use in uh, Chase Young. So the 49ers are going to be coming out there making some adjustments. I don't think it's time for Steve Wilkes to be fired. I do believe there's going to be attention to everything Steve Wilkes does. I think Kyle Shanahan is going to make sure he's a part of the conversation, make sure he's in meetings until they get this thing ironed out and figured out. Uh, but I have a lot of trust in the 49ers defensive coaches. Those guys have been around this organization for a while. They know how this defense works, and I think they're going to do a good job of collaborating with Steve Wilkes to get this thing figured out. They've got to marry the run game. There are some subtle adjustments, and I go through it on Patreon, some subtle adjustments that even defensive line alignment from linebacker alignment uh, pre-snap after shifts and motions have put the 49ers in some precarious situations if they would adjust, uh, they would be have less risk of some of these plays working and some of the run plays working. So they're not doing a good job of protecting linebackers, and sometimes the linebackers aren't pulling the trigger because they're a little out of alignment or a little concerned about the passing game, and they need to be willing to trust their instincts and go with what they see first. So I think that, yes, uh, this 49ers defense is going to get better, and I think Steve Wilkes is going to answer the bell because I don't think he's going to get fired anytime soon. But let's go to the offense, because another one is the offensive line is just really bad. I don't think the offensive line is just really bad. I think there are moments when they don't play good. And we've talked about this for several years in Kyle Shanahan's system. 
to be a successful offensive line playing for Kyle Shanahan, you have to be able to run the football because the guys that they get aren't the best at pass protection. They don't draft. They don't sign guys in free agent. I mean, minus Trent Williams, uh, that are spectacular in pass protection. They expect these guys to do is is win in the run game, win at getting the second level blocks with athletic ability, and be able to get where they want them to get when they want them to get there. They have to be about more technician uh, and less about power, more about athleticism, keeping the proper angles uh, than the overall push. So what we've seen from the 49ers offensive line, especially over the last few weeks, is as the run game has somewhat suffered, so has their effectiveness. Now, I thought they did a, a pretty good job against the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, they definitely broke down at the end, but they were trying to help Jalen Moore through the whole game. They've been playing a backup left tackle, and I think that was playing into it. They've been without Trent Williams. With Trent Williams, they're one of the best running teams in the entire league. Without Trent Williams, uh, they're middle of the road, you know, and I think that has been on display. So do I think the 49ers offensive line is bad? No. Do I think they've been inconsistent? Yes. And I think the problem with it is, is you just don't get consistent games from everyone that plays well. But one game, you'll get uh, Colton McKivitz playing well. But Spencer Burford will struggle. Or Spencer Burford will play well. Colton McKivitz will struggle. Or Jake Brendel will struggle. And I think sometimes you just get certain plays that don't go your way and those things stack up. I think as evident for Jake Brendel was the third and one on the very first drive against the Cincinnati Bengals. And he gets absolutely studded up by DJ Reader in the hole and drove back into Kyle Juszczyk. And Juszczyk's not able to jump cut right or left. If he is, you don't get that initial push. He's going to get a first down on the play. Well, I think the offensive line has been inconsistent. I don't think they've been bad. But I do think not having Trent Williams definitely exposes them. Because when Trent Williams is out there, Chris Furster and the 49ers offense can give more attention to everybody else. Williams can take one player out of the game. So, for instance, they would have been able to take out Trey Hendrickson in this game. But Trent Williams on him, he can go ahead and take him out, and then they can help in other areas. Another thing that's been very evident, George Kittle and Juwan Jennings haven't been as good blocking on the edge and blocking on the second level. And then I started to notice why. Part of the problem is normally the offensive tackle, Trent Williams, gets more of a push that they don't have to give help. They can work right to the second level. Even against 3-4, a lot of times, George Kittle will get a kick, they'll block down with Trent Williams, and then they'll bring Juszczyk to come kick even further and get extra movement. They haven't been able to do that because they haven't been able to count on that left tackle to get that initial push and then drive up the second level. So they've been trying to give help. So because they don't have Trent Williams, it's caused extra help. And now their run plays have went from being designed to get big plays and get touchdowns or explosive runs to probably trying to get 5 to 10 yards per carry. And so it's definitely changed the effectiveness of the offensive line. And of course, if you're not running the football consistently as an offensive line, that means you're going to be in some third and longs. I don't care who you are. If you're in third and long against the defenses in this league, you're not going to be able to hold up very well. And I think that's something that's come against the San Francisco 49ers. Their play action doesn't work as good which means they can't move the pocket as well and take some of the pressure off. They have third and long, so that means these offensive linemen have to block longer. So these are always the problems that befell the 49ers offensive line. They struggle in the run, it's going to make it difficult. They face third and long, it's going to make it difficult. Play action's not working, they can't move the pocket, it's going to make it more difficult. But when the 49ers run the football effectively, 
It makes everything else better. And I think Trey Williams is going to be a big reason why. It's going to be interesting to see what John Feliciano does playing left guard uh, while Aaron Banks is out with a uh, turf toe injury. So that'll be interesting. And of course, Burford's just got to get a little bit better. So hopefully we can see some improvement from that right side of the offensive line. Spencer Burford, Colt McKibbitts, uh, hopefully they grow and the second half of the season is better. But I think a lot of the pressure could be taken off with an effective run game and then being able to get into the play-action pass. Part of the reason, though, has been the 49ers haven't been able to run the football as much. And I've heard people talking about this, like, hey, the 49ers just aren't running it. Why? Well, defenses have come in and decided to take away the 49ers' run game. And it's not shouldn't be that easy, right? Eight guys in the box. That's what teams are doing. Five, six guys in the line of scrimmage, eight guys in the box, and saying, hey, Brock Purdy, you're going to have to beat you. Beat us. So you'll hear people say, hey, the 49ers are becoming one-dimensional. The 49ers are one-dimensional. You can't win that way. And you're right. But you also have to take, take advantage of what the defense gives you. If the defense is giving you a single high safety look, you have to be able to win. You have to be able to get the ball downfield. You have to loosen up that defense. Because if you start having effectiveness consistently throwing the football, the team will go out of the eight man in the box. They'll go back to the two high safety. And then you can start running the football effectively again. Right? You can take one thing away. You can't usually take away both. But I think that has limited some of the 49ers' effectiveness is they haven't been as good against single high safety. You're going to reinsert Debo Samuel. I mean, he's proclaimed he's healthy and ready to go. But with him coming back into the mix, now you can use Debo Samuel to help as well. That takes pressure off Jawan Jennings and Ray McLeod. Now they're covered by three and four corners instead of the one or two guy. That brings a little bit of pressure off George Kittle because Debo Samuel creates separation. Of course, if you go back and watch the video that I did yesterday, I talk a lot about Trent Williams and Debo Samuel and their effect on the 49ers offense. And I think Debo is going to have a huge effect on the playmakers and Brock Purdy's ability to attack. Part of the reason these defenses have been able to go eight in the box and try to take away the 49ers run game and Christian McCaffrey is Debo's not out there. We haven't got to see a defense try this with Debo on the field. Debo went off for big plays against New York, and he's a blitz killer, and he's an eight-man-in-the-box killer. You want to bring eight men in the box? That's great. Let me put Debo out there. If I put Debo out there with George Kittle, I split him out, and all of a sudden you've got to widen out your safety out there. Now he can't help in the run game. What's the difference? If he stays in too far, you see the 49ers do this with Isaiah Oliver, keep them inside. Well, guess what? Now I flip it out there to Debo. You don't get there. Debo's walking into the end zone with a touchdown. That's the effectiveness. He's going to put strain. He's going to make it more difficult for teams to muddy up the middle and put eight men in the box. He will create space for guys to operate over the middle. He will create opportunities for big plays on the outside. That's kind of what Debo does. Uh, plus the versatility that you have with him and Christian McCaffrey, where you can use them in the run game or the pass game, makes them a dynamic duo that makes it difficult for defenses to hone in on what you're doing. So I think that's a big reason why the run game hasn't worked. Uh, the eight-man boxes, and I think Debo is going to do a big, a big job helping with that because Brock Purdy can have effectiveness early in the passing game as these teams try to load up and go eight men in the box. And if he's effective, they'll back off, and then that'll be when the run game gets going. Trent Williams will help with the effectiveness of running up front They'll go back to hitting some of those explosive plays now that George Kittle and Jawan Jennings are able to uh, not have to give so much effort to help Jalen Moore and Colton McKivitz as far as blocking, but now they have Trent Williams to count on. 
and they can count on getting those positive yards and third down conversions behind Trent Williams, that's going to be huge. So yeah, it'll open the door. I think it's good enough for you know an extra 14 points a game, which is plus 30 for the 49ers. So that's why they're not throwing the foot or running the football as much. The opportunities aren't there. You don't have the spacing, which you can be presented by Debo. You don't have the the left side blocking with Trent Williams. You have to give more help. And then these eight-man boxes are just there. They're trying to take it away, and you have to be able to win down the field. And I think the 49ers are going to try to find a way to do that uh, coming out of the bye, and we'll see. They're going to get their test from Jacksonville. Trent should be back. Debo will be back, and we'll see if these things are answered. And what about these questions? Next question, burning question, is Brock bad? No, Brock Purdy is not bad. Brock Purdy makes some brilliant throws. He throws on time. He goes through his progressions. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of quarterbacks when we'd break them down, especially like Jimmy Garoppolo. You would find opportunities in the game. You're like, ooh, he missed that throw. Oh, he didn't miss that one. You don't find those very often with Brock. Usually he makes the right read. Were there a, a play or two in this game where you thought, oh, man, he should have threw this route. It was open. Uh, and it was his progression, and he should have hit it. Yeah, there was. Um, but, you know, there's not very many of those situations. Normally, he just is very uh, into what he's doing. He makes the right reads, and he gets the ball down the field. He does a spectacular job. So uh, Brock Purdy's a good quarterback. Do I think Brock Purdy sometimes presses to try to make plays? Absolutely. You know, I mean, he didn't give that handoff to Elijah Mitchell, and Elijah Mitchell would have walked in for a touchdown. He tried to make something happen and ended up being into a turnover. Those are learning situations for young Brock Purdy. Now Brock Purdy knows, hey, if I don't have it, yeah, I want to make a play, uh, but if I, I got to be protective with the football. I could throw it away. I could go out of bounds, live to fight another day. It was first and goal. The most important thing is you give yourself an opportunity to make a touchdown. So I think it's a learning experience for Brock Purdy and nothing that we should really worry about. I know five interceptions in the last two weeks is not optimal, uh, but he's going to have to continue to work on getting better. And I think that's actually through three weeks. Uh, so, yeah, he's going to have to improve. But these are learning experiences and experiences you expect from a young quarterback. Hopefully, he can turn these things around, not make the same mistakes, and the Fournieres can get it back on track. I know it will be a little bit easier with Debo. It'll be a lot easier with Trent. And if they establish a run game, it'll make it a lot easier for Brock Purdy along the way. So don't give up on Brock yet. He's still doing a good job. Yes, he's had some unforced turnovers that he should not have done, uh, and he's got to learn from those experiences. He's got to get better. But there are some great things as well, some timely throws, some tight window throws, some big-time plays to avoid pressure and make things happen down the field. Brock Purdy has been doing Brock Purdy things, and he's still the best option for the 49ers at quarterback. And so we'll see how it pans out, but no, Brock Purdy is not bad. How big of an impact will Chase Young make? I think this is the one, right? That's the million-dollar question. We don't know for sure. We do know he's going to have an impact. He should help the secondary because he should speed up the internal clock of the quarterback and make more one-on-one -on -one situations for Hargrave, Armstead, and Bosa. I know he does make it easier for the rotation now that you're going to have Randy Gregory and Cleveland Farrell as your backup defensive ends. Now your rotation is pretty strong with Givens and Kinlaw on the interior. You can pretty much roll with eight defensive linemen that can just rotate in and out that are very, very good. The likelihood that you'll have to result to running blitzes uh, definitely diminishes. So you have opportunities now to drop seven and go ahead and bring four and get after the quarterback. I think that should be huge. It'll also be big because one of your four rotation is not a liability in the run game. 
Greg Jackson to become a liability in the run game as setting the edge. Now, he did make a great play in this game where he took on a few guys and blew it up, and Isaiah Oliver was make, able to make a tackle in the backfield on Jamar Chase on a little bit of a counter play. Uh, but those plays are a little bit more fewer and far between than I would like. He also hasn't been able to bend the corner or put consistent pressure on the quarterback, which has been a, a troublesome area. But with that, your depth gets better. You'll get a better edge rusher to start the game opposite of Bosa. He can get home every time. He's got five sacks on the season. But I think he's also going to equate himself very good in stopping the run. So I hope this helps fix some of the problems they were having as far as gap responsibilities in the run game with not just the defensive line, but linebackers as well. I'm hoping that Chase Young does that. But Chase Young could absolutely help the 49ers get over the edge. Because now if they start getting the pressure that they want to get, that's going to make things easier on the back end. You make things easier on the back end. The 49ers secondary has proven to be very opportunistic this season. Coming away with 11 interceptions is definitely something they could continue to build on. And I think by speeding up the clock of the quarterback, it's going to get done. Now they're going to be going against Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is going to have the ability to move the pocket. He can definitely escape. He's got good enough legs. So the 49ers are going to have to be very, very smart about how they rush him. But ultimately, speed up his clock, get to him, force him to throw the football quickly, and then make sure you take these away. But what does Chase Young do for the 49ers defense? Changes it. Makes them better. It makes it easier for the defense to attack uh, the front side of a, a, a pass concept and make you look the other way and get rid of the football to uh, your receiver that you have for your check down. Go to your hot a little bit earlier. So I think Chase Young's going to make a big advantage. I think he's going to help overall mindset of this 49ers football team. I think they're going to be excited for him to get out there. And I think this is something that builds. Chase Young comes out, and all of a sudden, the 49ers defensive line gets one or two sacks right away. Next thing you know, it's going to get in the head of the Jaguars. It's going to get in the head of the 49ers. They're going to start feeling really good. If they have a big game against Jacksonville, rushing the passer and shut down that Jacksonville offense, that will build into the next week against Tampa Bay and the next week and the next week. And it could just snowball the same way that CMC did. So do I know for sure this is the answer that's going to get the 49ers over the top to win the Super Bowl? No. Do I think it's a big part of it? Yes. But I think with that, Trent and Debo coming back are going to be very important for the 49ers offense. So these are the 49ers burning questions here in the bye week. If you have more questions, leave them in the comments section. I'd love to get into those and address it. You don't agree with me on something, that's cool. Leave it in the comments section. I want to know what you guys have to say. Like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Really appreciate you guys watching 49ers Cutback. Of course, if you're listening on an audio platform, 49ers Cutback on Believe. As always, you can head on over to my Patreon and watch the film breakdowns. They're coming out all week from this Bengals game, but every single game this year, you can go back to watch every single play. They're all available. And of course, that link is in the description section. If you want to check out Patreon. Uh, there's also standalone shows over there as well that you can watch the Ant Hill show, the Ant Classic show. Those things are available. Um, so go check out Patreon. Uh, but I really appreciate you guys joining. You guys really are the best 49ers in the midst of a bye week, but uh, they're going to be coming out ready to fire against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's going to be a lot of fun. This episode of 49ers Cutback brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. You guys are the best. I'll catch you guys on the next one. Until then, stay safe. And remember the right way is always the 49ers.